this morning's um, scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But if, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we come here today with open hearts, open eyes, open minds to receive your holy word, which is truth. In a world that's so full of lies and deceit, we know that we're going to hear the truth today. Father, we do, what do we say about trials? None of us can escape trials, but how do we handle trials? Father, we ask for strength to persevere through these. We know it's a testing of our faith, sometimes just to, you know, to prove to ourselves our own faith, that we, your people, shall walk by faith, not by sight. Father, I pray for Brian as he brings forth the word today in clarity. I pray that we have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning, EBC. There is a... Vinny and Irina here, by the way. Sorry, I just had to stop here for a second. And they've moved back. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Didn't I speak online a couple weeks ago? Yes, I did. They haven't moved back. It's great to see you guys, though. Really good to have you here today. There's a fictitious, fictitious story told of a man who was held in solitary confinement in a dark prison cell. And the only thing he had in his possession to occupy his mind was one single marble, one marble. And so he would take this marble and he would throw it against the walls and then listen with enjoyment as it bounced and then rolled around the room. He'd then crawl around in the darkness to locate his precious marble, and, and, and he'd do this for hours. He had nothing else. The marble was all he had. One day, however, as he was tossing his marble around, he, he threw it upward, and it never came back down. He didn't hear the sound of the marble bounce on the floor or roll around on the floor. I mean, it was complete silence. The disappearance of the marble troubled him deeply. I mean, he was so disturbed by his inability to explain the marble's disappearance that he went absolutely berserk. He pulled out all of his hair, and he died. And the authorities came to remove his body from the cell. One guard was standing there, and he noticed something up in the spider's web up above in the upper corner of the room. Well, that's strange, he thought. I, I wonder how a marble got up here. <laughs> there are situations in life 
that don't make sense. But valid answers exist. There are happenings in the world that seem to have no explanation, or if they do, we wonder what it all means. We often have questions that our human understanding is incapable of answering. Troubling events and trials of life are really a problem of perception. Perception. And the question is, does it make sense to depend on our ability to put all the pieces together to figure out the Almighty God? And yet, throughout time, theologians and scientists and followers of Christ and the great, greatest of minds have tried to resolve the dilemma between a belief in an all-good, loving, and powerful God and the onslaught of evil and suffering in the world. So how do we live in this world where there's so much turmoil? How are we supposed to live when the affairs of the world are so unsettling and, and very disturbing? And yet, life's painful trials have touched every generation of Christians as far back as the first century church. You see, hardships and troubles and trials are not unique to us today. And that introduces our new sermon series in the book of James. And so if you're not there, I'd invite you to turn to the New Testament book of James. You'll find it near the back of your Bibles. It's after Hebrews. It's before Revelation. It's right in that cluster there. You'll find it. I, I, I encourage you to turn there. It's always good that you follow along because this is our authority base, the Word of God. Now, it's commonly believed that James was the first of the 27 books of the New Testament to be written. And so, it really is on the early stages of, of Christian teaching. And James is writing to those who are new in the faith. James's major uh, contribution is its practicality. It's practicality. It, it, it's written similar to what we saw in Proverbs without the poetry. James has been described by one writer as a handful of pearls dropped one by one into the hearer's minds. And so as we jump in this morning to verses 1 through 8, I've, I've hung the material on four words. Four words all begin with P. A preview, first of all, of the book, preview of what's coming, and then perspective, and then process, and then lastly, petition. Preview, perspective, process, and petition. All right, we begin with preview of the book here. Look with me at verse 1. Verse 1 of the first chapter of James. Notice it tells us James is the writer. And I want us to notice how James introduces himself. He says, verse 1, James, a servant, or more accurately, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, likely, this James is the brother or half-brother of uh, Jesus. And you might have thought that he might do a little name-dropping right about here, right? James, the brother of the name above all names, Jesus, right? That'd be kind of impressive. He doesn't say that. He doesn't drop any names. He doesn't say friends of Peter and John. He doesn't even identify himself as the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. He doesn't even say that he's the son of Mary and Joseph. 
And this is why I find James's opening here uh, particularly refreshing, because he refers to himself how? As a bondservant of Jesus. Now, a bondservant is a person uh, who is deprived of, of all their personal freedom and, and totally under the authority and control of his master. And James is saying here, I am a bondservant of my master, Jesus Christ. My devotion, my loyalty is to Christ and to Him alone. That's how he identifies himself. And, and as the heading indicates, he's writing to the 12 tribes who were scattered. These Jewish believers, uh, likely very young in their faith, were scattered outside of Palestine because of persecution. These are hard times for these new, new young believers. Many of them, many of them lost their homes because of their faith. Many of them uh, weren't, weren't able to buy and sell in the marketplace because of their faith. Many of them virtually had nothing left but their newfound faith. And might they be thinking right about here, is this Christian way worth it? Is it worth it? Might they be considering walking away from the faith to a, a more comfortable lifestyle? Because for these first century Christians, and really many places around the globe today, identifying as a Christian comes at a great cost. Here in this country, for now anyway, we can keep our identity as a Christ follower and have nothing to really show for it. We can kind of get away with that. This pastor was preaching a message and at the end of the message, he called the congregation to stand and be counted as a member of the army of God, to be in service to the Lord. Well, after the message, one man who infrequently attended church, remained on the fringes of Christianity, came up and he said, Pastor, you know, I'm already in the army of the Lord. I'm already in the service of, of God. The pastor said, but, but I hardly see you around here. The mean man leaned closer and to the pastor and he whispered, well, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> Are you trying to keep it a secret? See, as we see in the book of James, true faith is observable. It must, it must find itself on display. Our faith is not unrelated to the, to the living of life. And James writes a letter that emphasizes behaving as Christians, not simply becoming Christians. A theme of James, as we're going to see as we go through here, is show me. Show me your faith. Sing me no song. Read me no rhyme. Don't waste my time. Show me. I don't want you to write me poems. I don't want you to sing me songs. If you love me, show me. You know where that's from? My fair lady. Eliza's singing it to Freddie. And my fair lady. What is she saying? Show me. And as we see, James is about show me. It's about faith in action. Faith in action. And what these persecuted young believers need is not some doctrinal treatise, but some practical manual for living the Christian life. Now, I'm not saying that practical living and doctrine are at odds with each other at all. But to say that doctrine without feet to it leads to a faith, what, that doesn't work. That's what we're going to see. 
And so Pastor James here calls these dispersed, uh, disillusioned, disoriented believers who are trying to make sense of it all to have a living, visible, fruitful faith in a brutal world. And church, as your pastor, I call you, call myself, to a show-me faith, a show-me faith, a faith that does not get lost in all the craziness of this world but a faith in action. Show me. Now, I trust that as we go through James over the next few months, that we will um, not be the same, that we'll be changed. And if you get a chance this week, I would encourage you to read through the book of James, five chapters in one sitting. Just just sometime this week, uh, maybe throughout the series, that's up to you, but just read it. From chapter 1 to chapter 5, um, there's only 108 verses. And in those 108 verses, you'll discover around 60 commands. And we come to the first command right here in verse 2. After a brief introduction and greeting, James wastes no time to remind his readers and us of this central truth. A right response to trial starts with right thinking. That's, that's our takeaway really for today. A right response to trial starts with right thinking. And so that leads me to my second heading, second P, perspective. Perspective. Look at me at verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now notice here, it says, it, it doesn't say if we have trials, when we have trials. Notice they come in many forms. We go, yeah, they really do. It might come in the form of some kind of hurt some kind of betrayal in your life. It might come in the form of some disappointment or maybe some confusion, maybe some heartache or disease or, or sickness or, or suffering. They eventually strike all of us. An army chaplain had this sign on his door that said, if you have troubles, come in and tell me all about them. If you don't have troubles, come in and tell me how you do it. <laughs> no, the truth is we all have troubles. Hardships. Various forms of suffering come to all of us at one time or another. That is a fact of life right up there with death and taxes. Since no one is without trials of some kind, knowing how to respond to them then is critical. And James says, he commands here, it's, it's, it's an imperative. He says here, consider it pure joy. Now, I read, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. It kind of sounds like he's saying, sing to the Lord when you smash your thumb with a hammer. (laughs) Praise God that you just totaled your car. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, has, has James lost his mind? Has he spent too much time in his office? Has he lost touch with the real world? I mean, come on, James. Get real here. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds? Yeah, right. Normal people don't enjoy trials. Normal people do everything possible to avoid troubles in life, right? Many try dulling the pain through maybe some substance or maybe some entertainment Maybe through activity or, or busyness or, or education or food. <laughs> All of which only provide, what, a temporary means of escape. 
You see, joy is not the natural response to trouble. Consider it pure joy. All right, let me camp here a little bit on the word consider. Um, and some translation says count, count. Um, it, it was used, that word consider uh, or count was used uh, for a person at the front of the line leading a procession. It's used for a person at the front of the line leading a procession. You'll see why I, th- I think this is important here. You see, it's the idea of the leading influence or guide of something. And so, at the front of all our attitudes and our responses and, and our actions is consider, count, It's to have a right thinking about trials. It starts out here and everything else is going to come out of it. Because what we think about trials influences whether they break us or make us. And so the thought behind the word consider, it's not an attitude of of resignation. That's not what that word means at all. Remember, it's a command. It indicates a decisive action. And so we have to ask, but who in their right mind can be joyful when trials hit? The answer, verse 3, whether our faith is the real deal or not, whether it's genuine. Because when life is good, it doesn't take much to say, yeah, I'm in. I'll follow God here. But what what about when the wheels fall off? What happens to our faith then? John Bunyan, who's a Christian preacher, writer, he's well known for his writing of Pilgrim's Progress. Well, he experienced a lot of heartache in his life. In one year alone, he lost both his mom and his sister to death. And then, and then years later, uh, his wife died, and he was left with four children, one of whom was blind. Meetings and preaching outside of the auspices of the Church of England. He referred to his prison. This is what he said about his prison. He says, my time in prison was a hill from which I could see great things. <laughs> the joy isn't in, we're, to, we're to enjoy troubles. There's something wrong with that. Oh, I just lost my job. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) I'm so happy to have been robbed. Praise God. (laughs) You know, those kind of people make me a little nervous. I'll be honest. Because James is not saying fake it. He describes his joy as being pure, whole. We're not to pretend hurt doesn't exist. The joy isn't in the trial, it's in what we know. What do we know? It would be honoring to the Lord and will grow me to be more like Christ. Perspective. The joy is in what we know. It's in what we know about trials and the tests of life. And the people James is writing to were feeling the direct hit of criticism and and, and just unjust treatment. They 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 were under attack because... Uh, They were Jewish, and they were Christians. At that time, the culture hated both Jews and Christians. They were in a lose-lose. And Pastor James tells them to think rightly about the trials, to consider it pure joy. All right, what's your trial right now? 
What's the difficulty that's been challenging your faith? Were you even going, I'm not sure it's worth it. Because every person reading this in this room could, could insert his or her specific trial on some level. I mean, it might be no job. It might be a new job. It might be the same job. That's testing your faith right now. It could be the pain of, of wanting children and you can't. Or watching one of your children walking away from the Lord. It might be the testing of your faith right now might just be all the madness going on in this world. And there's madness. Perhaps today, though, it doesn't make sense to you that someone who calls himself a Christian is acting the way he is. And you go, if that's, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. What's your trial? What's your testing of your faith right now? It might be financial. It might be some physical illness. It might be some disappointment. It might be a shattered dream. It might be some kind of criticism or maybe some persecution even. See, we can choose. But it is a, a conscious, determined commitment to think about something in a certain way. Consider it. Leads the procession. It's the thought of making it this mental switch so that a particular trial is regarded from a certain vantage point. And so if you're going to respond properly, you're going to need to think correctly. A right perspective is critical. And listen, if God commands this, it means it's attainable. A right response starts with right thinking. I like how J.B. Phillips puts verses 2 and 3 into modern, fresh language. He says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders... Welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. All right, that leads to my third word, process. Process. Verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, verse 4 outlines a process that moves us to a finished product or result. Trials have the potential to bring us to that place where we will be lacking in nothing of spiritual significance. And that's what God wants for our lives. That's where He's taking us. That's the end He is moving us. Trials have a way of growing our faith. Because when hard times come, when things in life don't make sense, we're forced to learn and practice what we know in principle. And you might think, why does the Christian life have to be so hard? Story of Ryan, who attended his first day of school as a first grader. He had gone to kindergarten the year before. Well, this is his first day in his first grade class. And Ryan, coming off of kindergarten, was accustomed to going home at noon. So when noon came, Ryan began to get all his things together to head home like he'd done every other day the year before. But instead of getting ready to leave for home, he was supposed to be heading to lunch with the rest of the class. And so the teacher asked him, well, Ryan, what are you doing? He says, I'm going home. The teacher tried to explain, no, 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 now that you're in first grade, uh, you're going to have a longer school day. You're going you're to go eat lunch now, she said, and then you're going to come back to the room and do some more work <laughs> before you get to go home. Ryan looked up at the teacher in disbelief, hoping she was kidding. <laughs> Convinced of her seriousness, Ryan 
He then, he put his hands on his hip and he demanded, well, who on earth signed me up for this program? <laughs> sure. I think we can feel a little like Ryan sometimes when we consider the Christian life. Who on earth signed me up for this? It's not what I asked for when I said, Jesus, come into my life. This And the first century Christians might have had similar thoughts. Why is all this happening now that I found Christ? The ones out there that teach you that after you find Christ, everything's going to go hunky-dory and it's going to be wonderful for you, is bogus. They haven't read this. It's understandable that difficulties would tempt these new, uh, these first century Christians towards something more comfortable. All right, I ask you the question. Are you in a difficult situation right now that you are considering an easier alternative? You do something good to maturity. That's not what he says. He says persevering through trials produces maturity. And the word perseverance, by the way, or some translated endurance, uh, means to remain under a weight. We could use words like fortitude or toughness or staying power. So what does it mean to persevere through trials? Well, it means holding on no matter how hard it may be. It means refusing to run away from the challenges and take some easy, uh, wrong uh, alternative. It means to have an inner quality of strength which grows each time we pass the test. Church, it's a process. And like children on a long trip, we ask, are we there yet? <laughs> I don't like this anymore. I want to be here. Process. A process that comes through experience. It's been said that there are no uh, correspondent courses, online courses in swimming. <laughs> it isn't something you can do online, right? I mean, to learn to swim you must get in the water. In the same way, there are no distant learning experiences in suffering. We can't, we can't do this remotely. We got we to we experience it up close and personal. And yet, truth be told, we want the benefits of a strong faith without the pain that gets us there. I do. Most of us want to get to the graduation ceremony without the study. It'd be like handing a, a legitimate high school diploma without attending school. Doesn't work that way. James speaks to the process. He speaks actually more to the process than he does to the product because we have a responsibility in the process. God sends the test, the refining process that we must put to work in our lives, faith and action. And so what, whatever the trial or trials that you're, that you're going through right now in your life, let the process of perseverance come to full fruition in your life and accomplish all that God wants for you. Don't quit too soon. Miss out on the perfect gifts from above of maturity, wholeness, and not lacking anything of spiritual significance. See, the truth about trials that God is up to something with them. And we throw that around. It gets pretty trite. God's up to something in your life. 
And it becomes nothing. No, we need to believe and stake our life on that. Because the truth about trials is that we can come through painful experience at a, at a higher level of maturity than before. We can come out stronger for we have had to learn to use our spiritual muscles to climb the tough trail. See, trials will change you. It's a fact. They will. You either get better or bitter, stronger or weaker, healthier or sicker. It depends on how we respond to them and how we think about them. It leads the way. So you might, you might say, all right, all right, pastor, I, I get it. I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just struggling, pastor, to, to get that joy thing going in my life. I mean, how do, how do I think correctly about this? How do I get from feeling overwhelmed to rising above the hardships? What, what, what am I to do if in this process I don't know how to meet this trouble head on? What am I to do in that period of time before perseverance has completed its work? James says, let me tell you what to do. Fourth word this morning, petition, petition. Verse 5, any of you lacks wisdom on how to handle this trial and waiting for the perseverance to finish this work, if anybody lacks wisdom, he should ask God, petition God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What do we need? One word, wisdom. Those of you who have been with us through the study in Proverbs, that came up a few times. Wisdom. So I love transitioning into James. All right, now, we're going to have to come back next Sunday to this verse and the verses following it because we're out of time for today. I kind of bit off a little bit more than I could chew. And I'll pick up verses 5 through 8 along with 9 through 12 next week. Stay tuned. But suffice it to say now, though, if we ought to benefit from pain and trials and the loss and heartache of life, we're going to need to ask for God's perspective. Wisdom gives us that. We're going to need to ask God for help in the face of troubles. We're going to need wisdom. Wisdom helps us understand how to use those painful circumstances for our good, for the benefit of others, and for the glory of God. Not always right off, but at some point. See, the comfort is in knowing that God has a purpose in it. Wisdom is going to aid us, help us, and not wasting the opportunities God's giving us to mature. And so the promise is clear. God will give us wisdom in times of testing. He will help us in the face of trouble. We need to ask God for it. So we'll come back to this next week. But nothing, nothing else is going to make sense about trials unless we adopt God's view of them, which can only come by asking for wisdom and gaining His wisdom. The benefit that we receive from going through trials depends in large degree upon how we look at them and the way in which we handle them. Will you choose joy? And who knows, but that as you choose joy, it might rub off on others rather than the other things that are rubbing off on others. 
See, a right response to trial starts with right thinking. Consider it all joy. Count it all joy. I read about a pastor in Florida who would occasionally throw count it all joy parties. He would prepare these nice invitations. He would send them out to lots of people, and then he would wait for their response. And people invariably would ask him, Pastor, why are you having this party? I mean, is it your birthday? Is it your anniversary? Did you get a raise? What good thing happened in your life that you want to have this party? He said, no, no, no. I'm having this party because I'm going through a hard time right now. And I want to celebrate because I know God has something good planned for me in the end. Consider it all joy party. <laughs> now, I think it's, it's a little, little crazy. But you know what? There's a part of it I like. It's a lot better than the pity parties we like to throw. Perhaps a a group of people going through some hard time could come together to throw a count-it-all-joy party so they can commiserate, they can celebrate, anticipate, support each other in what God's going to do. All right, you may not throw a count-it-all-joy party, but you can choose your attitude. I can choose my attitude. You can place your confidence in the promises of God despite circumstances that don't always make sense. There's my marvel. But valid answers exist. The problem is our perception. And it really comes down to this. Am I going to trust my perception of things or trust in the almighty God and His goodness? Which... A right response starts with right thinking about trials. Let's pray. God, we thank you already. I'm excited about this study. This really shouldn't be a downer at all. This is where we live life a lot of times. And we want the miracle God who just removes us from those trials. We want the miracle God who just makes it all better for us. And you can do that. But also, your word that you've communicated to us speaks of a God who promises to be with us in the trial, in the valleys, in the difficulty. And that you won't waste our experiences. You won't waste our pain for you are a purposeful God. So, Lord, help us as we leave this room today to trust in your goodness. And that you are holding on to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.